Yeah. I showed up in a bathrobe and an ascot. I wish you would say something. Ladies and gentlemen, if you can see my face wearing an ascot and a bathrobe and hear my voice, you know it is time once again for the worst 120 minutes or so in all of sports. That's right. I'm Mike, and it is time for the Too Many Guys Soccer Show, where we embrace our ridiculousness without question. It's our After Holidays edition, and I am joined as I am each and every episode by my partner in all things podcasting, producer Stead. How goes it, sir? It is going well. I am uh, happy to be back on the airwaves again. It has been a while. So also happy because I finally got our RSS feed set up. So we are ready to outpost our show to several other podcast platforms. So uh, we can get maybe nine listeners instead of the five that we currently have. So uh, hey, five is better than I thought. We I thought it. Well, yeah, I thought we're about we about five. We got about five. About five. We got five. <laughs> About five. Um, how, how, how was your holiday, brother? Holiday was was nice, actually. You know, our first holiday down here in Georgia, it was a little weird at first because we were, you know, away from family, you know, we, uh, away from friends. But, you know, we have some family familial connections down here through, you know, my wife's extended family. So we were able to go to a very nice apartment uh, condo in Buckhead here in Atlanta. I'm sure you guys have heard of Buckhead. Everything in Buckhead is nice, and this condo was a, a no exception. It was beautiful, and so we had a nice dinner there, and uh, which was great because I didn't have to cook. There was enough food for about fifty people, and there was about fifteen of us, so I had a big old pot of leftovers to bring home, and uh, great conversation, and uh, it was just a nice settling day for everyone. And both of my kids fell asleep in the car on the way home, so everything was. Everything was was groovy, was groovy. So, yeah, good holiday, good holiday. As we talk about uh, holidays, we're going to welcome in our designated opener, as he does pretty much every podcast. Coach G, how's it going down in New Orleans? How was your Thanksgiving? Um, Everything is great so far. We just got here with a cold spell, so I had to put my little winter head on to keep my balding head uh, for, keep, uh, for being uh, too cold right now. Um, besides that, Thanksgiving was nice and peaceful. I had off all last week. I had a bunch of uh, things on the to-do adult list. Nothing got done. So um, a lot of 21-year-olds, let's go to the bar at 10 o'clock because we're on vacation and it's New Orleans. What else do you do on break? So I uh, drink just a little bit more. So it's always kind of good to go back to work to kind of detox. I guess that's how it works. But besides that, man, Thanksgiving was good. Uh, very low-key. I had some pasta because it's kind of hard to make a turkey for two people. We didn't go to Tampa. We didn't go to Chicago. So we just kind of uh, stayed around here in New Orleans and just kind of made some pasta. Just kind of chilled out. Good man, no complaints. Um, loving the uh, Christmas decorations in the background. Uh, way to keep it New Orleans Christmas style. Um, um, you, I'll gladly send all you guys what I put on the outside. Definitely uh, red and white for the, the 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 season because it's a red and white season so far because we are top of the league. Uh, I got my great, awesome Arsenal flag out there, still flying high and proud and everything. But yeah, once Christmas is over, then all the Mardi Gras colors start coming out. So right now, Christmas is kind of a show for what I need to do to make it better for the Mardi Gras season. So I've got about a month to uh, kind of prepare for that. 
Yeah, I will be down there about that time, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, so we did uh, Stromboli Calzone, green beans, turkey, fried turkey, ham, yams, uh, stuffing, mashed potatoes, uh, sweet potato pie, and brownies and a pineapple upside down cake. Yes, there were four of us. <laughs> so each of y'all got a pie for themselves. <laughs> Love it. There, there, there were four. Um, it's probably going to be that, that freezer's I, probably full of food now. <laughs> you know, oh, the freezer's full of food and beyond that. And um, so instead, you'll appreciate this. My uh, father-in-law is. Go-Go Royalty, he used to lead as the bassist schoolboys, which is one of those old-school Go-Go bands here in D.C. So I found one of his concert posters. That's cool. I had framed it for him and gave it to him on Thanksgiving. And to see his reaction when he saw it just reminisce, oh, man, that was the highlight of the day. That's, That's cool. cool. Real cool. So life. even though the... uh Washington football team, commanders, Redskins, football team, commanders, Redskins of the Washington football team got absolutely housed by the uh, Dallas Cowboys. It was still a good day. So, um, as always, we are all we thankful for uh, y'all six people who actually might listen on any given day and each other who come in and talk football. So, let's move on to things that actually matter. Arsenal, top of the table. Is that really? That's the only thing that really matters is Arsenal. Well, hey, I'm going to say that was a professional performance mm-hmm. this weekend. Yeah, the type of game that a team competing for a title, a team at the top of the table, wins. It was not easy by any stretch of the imagination, but you dug down deep, and at the end of the game, you come out with the winner, one nothing, and Arsenal top of the table. Gee, if I gave you top of the table in November, going into the first weekend of December, and said, y'all going to be top of the table one December, you would have had to have been happy. Um, yeah, I would definitely be like, I kind of agree with that. Would definitely be the top three, you know, based off of last year's performance with Arsenal and everything. Definitely, um, if you said that, like, yeah, I agree with you. Now, the question is, how many points ahead are we in second place and who's in second and third? But right now, it's still kind of that early esque part of the season, but we're looking good. We're kind of hitting our stride. Even though I hate to be like this guy, we should have lost that game. Um, ran, um, Aaron came out of the um, goal box, almost gave up the ball, which yeah, luckily Rice was on the goal, um, the goal line to say that, that first goal. The second time was second half. I think it was Shashenko and his like left foot barely stuck out, and that ball went outside for a corner. Like if we, if they scored two goals right there, it's two zero. We would not have that last goal. Um, even though we did score um, barely offsides, what, the 36th minute or something like that, um, we had the better chances, but they looked like they should have won the game. And uh, 
Brentford's always kind of tough for us, Arsenal. We beat them uh, again uh, 1-0, I think, earlier this year or something like that. And it was a struggle to beat them. They're just kind of that, that thorn in our Paul kind of team. And we can't take any team lightly, but these are the teams that we should win. Let's go about three years ago. This is a team that we would lose to. All those little bumps would not go them. our way. Any any stuff like that would go their way. And it's really awesome to see that how soccer kind of changes now for the, the victors or the team that's going in the right direction. So there's a lot of things, like like I said, a couple of years ago that would, would not go our way. Even our bench players are coming off the bench with less names that they could start on any EPL team right away. Kai Harvest can start on any team. Um, Benny White or... <laughs> You know, or, or, or Benny Blanco coming off the bench. You know, these guys are on our bench, but they're coming off to help us. Years ago, we would have like, who is this person? Where did he come from? We would have such a weak bench. But I like what Arsenal is doing. And right now, we should be winning these games. So when you say, should we be first place by this time? Yes, we should be first place right now. At least if not first place, second place by one point. We should be up there. Yeah. I mean, instead. It looks good. They do look good, and and look the 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 top four is jammed. I mean, it's it's tight. It's really tight. I and, I, I would say not the top four, but the top three. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. I, yes, Villa is definitely. I, I, Villa, not, Villa's punching above Villa, right Villa, now. Villa, yeah. Villa in, in Spurs, mm-hmm. given where Villa is in Spurs injury crisis, right? Um. Arsenal, City, and Liverpool, and Liverpool, are, yeah, are are clearly right. And and, and 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 you know, you know, you know, fandom aside, you have you have to kind of feel for Spurs a little bit. Spurs got a bit of the Arsenal bug when it comes to the injuries, and because they were playing very good football, very entertaining football as well. And um, so it's it's yeah, these th- these kind of things happen. But you have to say that with things being as tight as they are at the top of the table. It's not inconceivable that that after because look, there's been several stretches during this year where Arsenal has not looked that great. I mean, G, you 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 alluded to this earlier. There's been several games where they've stolen a draw or stolen a, a win that they probably didn't really deserve. But deserve is also an incorrect word to use when it comes to to sport. Really, I mean, I mean, I mean, Lowe said that, and I completely agree with him. So, um, but yeah, they, they they I like. I just like the toughness, and I like the fact that it goes back to what Troy Deeney said about Arsenal five, six years ago. He says they don't have any cojones, and he was right about the team at that time. They they didn't have any heart, and you're seeing a team now that doesn't get discouraged when they don't score in the first half of a game. You're not seeing a team that is looking deflated, and when they do get late in the game, if they have a win, they don't just retreat back and just and just tighten up and hope the other team doesn't have a moment of magic and score. Because that's what we're used to seeing from this this team for the last 10 years. So that is where it's very positive, where I actually do feel like this team does have a legitimate chance to win the league this year, where I even when Arsenal was was crushing last year, I was very clear where I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Things just don't don't feel right to me. Whereas this year, because you're starting to see that City did not improve as much from last year to this year. And I think that the the gulf between Liverpool and Arsenal and teams that are going to finish fourth, fifth, and sixth have crept up a little bit, crept up a little bit. So we'll see. But also we got to remember there are still only 13 matches in. We still got a long season left. And I mean, the EPL is a long season. 
it's like, I mean, it starts before American football, and American football is already over halfway done. So it's 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 a long slug. But oh, you know, American but I'm sitting back way over halfway done. Yeah, way over halfway done. Yeah, but I'm sitting back and I, and I, and yeah, I'm smiling. I I am optimistic that even if they're gonna hit some bumps, you know, you're gonna lose a game here and there, but. You're seeing that City's already lost two. They're probably going to lose a couple of more. Liverpool's lost one. They'll probably lose a few more. So, you, you know, this could get exciting. And we actually could see an end of an EPL season that's actually worth watching. And you mentioned something before, like when we're down, how frankly we're trying to get that goal. We have now the maturity. The years are finally setting in where you see in the calmness but the straightforward, the 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 more pressure, the more you know, aggressiveness. But with calmness, you don't see that, like bad passes as you did before, and the, the the up and down transitions. The maturity is finally setting in, and now you get the Champions League. You get all these other factors that, like I said years ago, just wait, just wait. And we're kind of seeing that right now. And I'm gonna write, I'm gonna piggyback on Sean. We still need that striker. We still need at least two main strikers. Jesus, love you, but you <laughs> you're not there. We, you're not you a number one guy. You can't yeah. stay healthy. If you can't stay healthy, you can't well, be a number one guy. We want to get uh, London Sean back on because when we can, Look, because he's just a wealth of information. Yeah, but we'll try. We'll try to record early one day if we need to to get a segment with him. Mm-hmm. Um, gentlemen, I have my opinions. Uh, G, instead, I want to talk to you about it. What is the big difference in your opinion between this year's Arsenal squad, last year's Arsenal squad, and some of the ones that fell short? Um, that I'll, I'll yeah. go to you first. Okay, I'll jump in first. Um, I think you're seeing a maturation of our young stars. Uh, I think a few years ago when I was talking about how excited I was to get ESR and Bukayasaki in games, and ESR. Sadly, he's 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 been hurt a bit, but I can say that when he has been on the field, I thought he's played very well. Um, I think you're seeing that, and you're seeing a coach who's actually maturing too. And I think you're just seeing a team that was playing good games, but couldn't necessarily sustain those for a season. And now I think you're seeing a team that's going okay. We've got enough experience under our belt. We, you know, Arteta is much more comfortable in his role as a manager. He is not looking over his shoulder as if I don't do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to get fired because I'm only 38 and I'm going to get another job anyway. And also, you know, I think he's entrenched to the point in Arsenal where now the team is playing just as well as they were last year, if not better, but we're not getting overrun with comments about him going to go coach Real Madrid or Barcelona like we got last year or the year before. So I just think that you're seeing a core Arsenal team that's just Arsenal, that's not being looked at as a team that's going to have players that can't wait to get out of there and go somewhere else that is attractive now for other players to come to the team as opposed for players to try to come in and build up and leave the team. And so I think that's where you're seeing a different Arsenal squad. But I will say this, as we've seen, all of that can change on a dime if Arsenal don't – I've still got – got to win something and they laid an egg for the League Cup. I, I mean, look, I don't think they should have done that. I thought that was a bad move to just kind of dump that cup out. And, and play for, for bigger trophies. But I think that at this point in the season, it's still early enough that you can sit Bukayo Saka, you can give him breaks like he needs because you're going to overrun him, but still be competitive in these games. There's no reason for you to lose that game. So, But that's just me kind of griping about going out of a, a easy cup too early because I do think they need to win a trophy this year. 
And if you watch uh, Arsenal's last couple of games, they've actually played more Martinelli on the left side and not so much Saka. I'm hoping Saka said in the locker room, uh, I'm getting a little banged up here. Can you guys go on the other side of the field? Because I'm not going to last throughout get the season. ESR, get Vieira in there. Let those guys yeah. play a bit, man. We got some other players that can, that can log minutes. And they're playing they're playing Bukayo Saka so much, they would bring in a guy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot we had him. He's good. I like him. You know, because they're just they're playing Saka all the time, which I understand. The guy's a world-class player. He's the best player we've had on that team. I'd say since, um, since right. yeah, New yeah. Year's <laughs> I didn't want to go that high. I didn't want, but he's getting there. Because I was gonna say since Santi Catorla. And I think if Santi Catorla could have played the better squad, he would have done a lot better as a player. But I, I, I think I'm also Santa a mark Kisora for him. Love. I understand that. I'm also a mark for him. I understand that. But because he's a midfielder and I and I uh, respect uh, that kind of Alexi game. Alexis Sanchez, Mesadozo, they were both great players when they played for um uh, Arsenal, but, um, but they burned out in a very negative way because Orla didn't, and that's why I refuse to put Saka in the same conversation with those two other players. I, I'm gonna be real honest with you. Um, the addition of Declan Rice was the right one. Absolutely, great. Absolutely, because uh, you know, you know, you know, you know how Chelsea many might... times have yeah. I said to you mm-hmm. they needed a guy in the center of the park who's going to put his foot on the ball yep. and say. Patrick Vieira. Yeah, yeah, that does. They haven't had a player like nope. that since Patrick since Vieira. Vieira. You're exactly foot, right. Who could put his foot on the ball and say, "I have no better way to say this." Instead, you're going to have to put the parental guidance one on this one. <laughs> you're not fucking with us today. No, and, you're and, not. And, you're not. If you go after Saka, if you go after that guy, you got to come through me. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. And exactly you're right. not doing that today. Mm-hmm. And exactly I'm going right. to put my foot on the ball mm-hmm. and I'm going to hold this. I'm going to let you know. I'm going to let you know. And I'm going to let you know. Mm-hmm. Under West Ham as a captain of leading a, a, such a good team as a young, young man coming over now where he doesn't need to be that captain. He's, but he's such a leader, though, Jesus. in another way. And a Love way that, that in such a bad way that is fitting <laughs> perfectly. So, yeah, I agree, but, but give, we, no, we, give, we him spread, give him the armband. Give him the armband. Just give it. Odegaard right now is controlling the middle. And no, I know. There's no need. Don't mess up that yet. We, we talked, <laughs> yes. gentlemen, what we talked about for a long time was the spine of Arsenal. Mm-hmm. It's there. Was weak. Mm-hmm. Very weak. Now, Very weak. if you look up and you go... Odegaard. Uh, Odegaard, Rice... And the center backs, mm-hmm. yeah. And then Ramsdale, the yeah. spine is yeah. solid. Yeah. The best and thing for is me is a coach spine. Mm-hmm. And the player is when they get off the bench or when they get substitute, we're not dropping any really form. Let's say it's 102, like 98. Where previous years we would drop so much more, but like even our spine backups aren't that bad that we're still continuing with, with our with our machine right now. We have a great system right now because of Arteta and what he did the last three years. Look, you're bringing in Tomiyasu off the bench, and he's coming and giving stud minutes. Stud yes. minutes. I mean, that guy is – first of all, for a Japanese player, he's big at 6'2". Ripped. And, and yes, and we don't want to, to shreds. Uh, uh, all right, it, and I he can play multiple young. positions off the – but he can play multiple positions off the back line with that type of speed where you have – you have, I mean, look, Ben White's six feet tall. He's playing right back. You know, you have a lot of size and you have a lot of speed back in that defense that is really locking guys down. Saliba is 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 
Can you name a better center? Can you name a better center half in the league right now than than Saliba? But Gabriel Saliba, um, when you go up, but um, uh, uh, Declan Rice Mm. up to Odegaard. That is a strong. That is solid. Technically, Saka is your two options. Phenomenal. No, it's 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 a good time. It's it's a good time, and and it's I feel like, you know, applaud the organization for sticking with Arteta. Um, there's still some fans out there who think we need to fire Arteta, and I just I want them to just 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 be quiet and just go away. There's no reason to get rid of Arteta. You've got to be kidding me, because what people always think is, who is else is going to take that job? Like who is go- who are you going to get that's going to come in immediately and and replicate any set of level of success? We have not competed in the Premier League to actually win the Premier League in in ten years, and the fact that the fact that you know, as Mike you're saying, we have this core of players down the middle that are actually holding firm. Right, they're actually holding firm. You have players that are coming off the bench. You can spend $60 million for Kai Havertz and go, you know what, this really isn't working. We're going to put you on the bench. And then when he comes in, off, he's, he's playing. He plays so much better when he comes in off the bench. He does. Right. He does. And Chelsea, Mike, you can take all the shots you want about it because it may entertains you. I get that. But, of course, Chelsea, Mike, is awfully quiet, though, when he talks about the transfer of Declan Rice, which we spent a whole lot more for him. So, you know, let's just say this. Also, Chelsea might have been quiet the whole season. <laughs> so. Well, listen, as somebody who's in a, a similar spot to Chelsea, Mike, it's hard to talk a lot of trash when your team just sucks. Um, yeah, but it's not hard for him. That's why I love him. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, I mean, all say, I'm saying is right I, I now. I would say that, think, but that Arsenal, is a problem, though. Yeah. Like, Arteta's got a team. He, he's done it a little bit differently than Jurgen Klopp did at Liverpool. You know, the signings are kind of smart, but um, he, he's built the team from the spine out, mm-hmm. whereas uh, Jurgen Klopp built it from the wings in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Either way, I don't make a difference. Yeah. Chasing Manchester City for three years broke Liverpool. Yeah, it did. Mm-hmm. It broke them. Yeah. Um, we're going to see. You talk about spending 60 odd million quid mm-hmm. for Kai Havertz mm-hmm. and being able to put him on the bench. That's going to come back. That is going to Yeah, I think you misinterpreted back. what I was saying though. I was saying that's a courage move. It's a courage it's a cur- move, and no. I get it. Not, yeah, I but guess, the fact I that you have the courage to do that deal. because look, look, yeah, it's, it, look, it wasn't a good deal. It wasn't a good deal. But but you know, to look at big six teams and say that they haven't had a bump in the road here and there when it comes to bad deals, I mean it's 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 just kind of par for the course. But my point is that you have a squad that's being managed by a professional who's not who doesn't feel that he has to play a player because they spent money on a player. And that's what Arsenal used to have to do because the investment wasn't there. I feel like that the, the investments there now, and again, Mike, you were right though. We'll see. We'll see because we could be looking two or three years down the line. All of a sudden the bank wall dries up and Arsenal's won one FA cup and that's it. And the next thing you know, we're, but you know, 
excuse me, Liverpool did go broke chasing Manchester City, but they also won a league title and a Champions League. So, and City is owned by a country. So it's a bit hard to compete against that as well. So there's just, there's, there's, but you know, I'm just going to enjoy this while I can, because as I, as I have said before, I do fear that City's going to turn into Bayern Munich in the in the Premier League, and that's the worst thing that could happen. To the Premier well, League. I, I think they already League. have to a certain. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's getting there. It's getting. It's on. It's on the way. It's, it's, a, it's on the way. It's getting there. And, but hopefully, the fact that I hope that the other teams that are in the Premier League are a bit better at punching with that with the big boys than the guys who are in the Bundesliga, uh, because you know if if City wins seven, eight, nine, it's it's just going to be all downhill, and then it's just going to be like okay, well. I just think I'm sorry. I I I personally, I'll tell you right now, if that starts happening in the Premier League, I will lose interest, which is sad because I've been following the Premier League since the start. We won't. We, we won't. We don't need to go out and watch matches. We can yeah. pay attention to League Cup. We can pay attention to the. Um, oh, jeez! Just knocked down my um, whole entire setup. <laughs> uh, we can pay attention to the League Cup. We can pay attention to the uh, FA Cup and be all right. Yeah. So you know it's. I hate to kind of end our Arsenal chat on a down note, but um, I will say this, though. For what we've been given and the way the seasons have gone, and at least that you have a competitive league right now in the Premier League, and um, it should hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we can crown a new <laughs> Premier League champion this year. Because, yeah, City just... City doesn't look as un- they don't look as unbeatable as they did last year. They just don't. And maybe that's because their core is getting a little older. There's those there's a lot of mile on those legs. This is exactly how they started last season. But, well, no, this is not how they started, but they had a bump. They're in the missing. middle of the season. No, they, they a, were because Arsenal 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 was playing a hundred percent last year. So but City had a little they, dip at about this time of year. They had a little dip and then all oh, but they but their dips, City's dips are a game or two. Arsenal, Liverpool, their dips are four or five games. Because don't forget, okay, Arsenal had a three-game stretch all, where they didn't get a point. We can all agree on this. Here's the problem. Actually, I'm going to turn this statement into a question. What is the gap that you need after the festive season to feel comfortable? Because you know... City is going to hunt your ass down. Oh, man. What was it last year? Yeah, look what happened last year. How many points were up last year? And they just I came think down. they were up six points last year. I think it was six. Yeah, what, 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 what is the gap that you need to feel comfortable? Because you know City are going to come on like a flipping freight train in the second half of the season. 15 plus. <laughs> Like the five games, like you said, most people when they or most teams when they when they have their fall or little bump, it's a month. It's a month of crap. But somehow City has figured out how to stop that bleeding after a game, two games, or or whatever. Their turnaround time is a lot quicker to get those points. Where these are the games where Arsenal will lose two one against Brentford because we don't you know the ball won't go our I, way. That's soccer. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say. Seven or eight points this year, but only this year. And the reason why I say that is because I feel like the teams that are at the bottom of the table this year are worse than they've been in previous years. 
I feel like Burnley, Luton, Sheffield, the newly promoted teams, they are not ready to compete. They're just not. I mean, they got a win or two here and there. They're just not ready to compete. The fact that, you know, the, the team I would not want to play that's bottom of the table right now is Everton. I wouldn't want to play them because they're going to feel a little bit slighted and they're probably going to steal some wins. I just don't see them getting relegated with that. Bournemouth is not nearly as good. Forest is not nearly as – Forest is just Forest. I, I just don't feel like they, they're they're very good. So then you're looking at Palace is struggling. Wolves aren't really all that scary. You know, Fulham, I'd never take anything away from Fulham. I don't. I don't like Fulham because Fulham always wins that game. You don't want them to win. So – uh, but I just feel like there are more teams that are lower in the league that just aren't as competitive as they as they have been in the past. I just don't feel the same. Like I don't think they're going to steal one. So I'll say yeah. I'll say seven or eight points is is a comfortable lead because I feel like they should be winning those games. Yeah, but as those opposed to years past, teams like Stoke with seventeenth would win you would be jumped. <laughs> But like any other lower team, those are the scary teams. It's the EPL. Like yeah, you, but I just don't think they're number one at any time. I just I, you I never know. But when, when the top teams lose, that's when Man City's like, ooh, we'll beat that team. And like also now there's a six point spread difference. Like that's how they come back every freaking oh, yeah. year. Yeah. yeah, I just, I just, I, I just, I, that's the only reason why I'm gonna say seven or eight. Okay, maybe <laughs> all right, nine points. Let's go. Oh, we, need, we need to get a board or something like that. You know, put all these predictions down and everything here. Oh, man. Mike, that was the worst question, bro. <laughs> what do you want me to ask? <laughs> no, nah, but that's real talk. Like, we know is, what you're going to do. Yeah. And it used to be what United would do. Like, how many yeah. points do you need to be ahead mm-hmm. at Christmas to feel comfortable because you know that they're going to come on like a freight train? Mm-hmm. In the second half of the season, Absolutely. and they're going to pick up those. Absolutely. You Absolutely. know, but it's so funny. The, 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 I don't know why this feels different to me because I just, yes, all the credit to United for those, for those, for the championships they won. All the credit to United for, for, you know, the, the, the phenomenal Premier League record they've had. I just never felt like United was unbeatable. And for some reason, with I don't know why with this city run they've been on for the last five years I just felt like they're unbeatable and it's and I think that's what's that's, frustrating me I, because I just never felt like that with United even though United would end up winning I always felt yeah well, I think that, that's get a shot to get in there you know <laughs> no I think that's recency bias I really I hope do so. I hope so because I hope so. there were a couple of years or where... maybe it's just because Arsenal was good back in those days. So I thought they had a shot and for a long stretch of these city runs, Arsenal haven't been good. So maybe it probably feels a little bit more, yeah. more strenuous that way. That, that I think, I think that's recency bias more than anything else. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't call it bias. I would call it recency awareness <laughs> because Arsenal, recency said, awareness call was, whatever my point is that Arsenal to. was good back in those days and they weren't good for the majority of the city run. That's why. And so it's a bit more frustrating when you feel like your team doesn't have a shot anyway. I mean, when you got to a certain point, you felt like, um, you know, he had went in the season with, 12 points that nobody else had because there were four games in every season without a doubt that Sir Alex Ferguson was going to figure out how to win that no other yeah, manager in the Premier League. Because <laughs> they get four extra minutes to stop his time. I, I, would, I, I would like to direct you to Tico Machida coming up with a double against Aston Villa 
in the last 10 minutes of that game <laughs> to still one that helped them win. Like when they brought him off the bench, we were like, who the hell is this? <laughs> and he scores a double to win. Like that, that was just things that happened back then. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I bring but, it up to but say. United like, never won five in a row. They never won five in a row, but they were yeah. the first team to won three in a row, and they did it twice. Yeah, but as you said, because I tried to point that out before in an earlier show, and you were like, no, nah, United never won five in a row. Yeah, never won four They never won five in a row. So, uh, so they you never know, won four in a row. That's all I'm saying. And what it, cities that this would be their fourth? No, or their fifth? They won their. I think cities won the last five. No, because Arsenal's in, uh, Liverpool's in there. Oh, they, okay. No, you're right. Three. You're right. You're right. They won the they last won four. Three. three. I keep forgetting the COVID season. You're right. My bad. Yeah. They've won four um, of the last five. Okay, my bad. They won four of the last five. United. I totally, did that a couple I totally of times. struck the COVID season from my from my memory. <laughs> no, United. United did that a couple of times and won mm-hmm. four or five, uh, three or four, mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, they would be the first team to win four in a row. Mm-hmm. But you know. What was it? at one point in time, United had won more than half of the team uh, of the uh, Premier League titles that had been contested over a twenty-year period. Oh yeah, that was that was true for a long time. Yeah, and, and so um, City have a little bit to go to get to that level, but they yeah, will City get there. Won don't, the last, don't, don't, yeah. They won five don't, of the last six. That's what it was. Okay, yeah, my bad. And that is a measure of dominance. Mm-hmm. And we'll see, and that is what it has been, is can Liverpool chase them down, which they did. Actually, um, it wasn't did Liverpool chase them down. Liverpool got so far out in front prior to COVID that it was theirs, and the only reason that they didn't set a point record that year was because they let their foot off the gas and COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, can Arsenal this year keep up with them? And like I said, it broke Liverpool doing that. It broke them. Mm-hmm. And we'll see what it does to Arsenal. What they do have is what Liverpool had the year before is they had the advantage of knowing what that title chase looks like and can they use that experience from last year to to, to say, like, we're going to galvanize and go in and get this. Mm-hmm. So, um, gentlemen, we're going to turn our attention to the land of enchantment north of the border. Welcome in the newly minted uh, qualifiers for Euro 2024. And welcome in our good friend, Cam. Cam, a uh, slightly different um, uh, vantage point. I'm not sure how I feel about this, but I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I got a new new PC, shifted the office around a little bit, so we'll see how it works out. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so as good as it goes for Scotland, it goes like shit for Celtic in the Champions League. They are officially out. But let's start with the big news. Um, Celtic are through. They will be in 
2026. Uh, what does this mean for the Tartan Army? I mean, this is fun. This is massive. Um, I'm trying to remember the last time we were in a major competition like this. Um, you know, Stephen Clark has just done absolutely... uh, four years ago. Was it four years you. that we, we made it? I couldn't remember. Yeah, you made it four. to the last Euros. You okay. made it to the last Euros because we went out and watched the game together. That's right. Okay. I was trying to remember if it was the last one or the one before that. Yeah, you're right. Yep. So, you know, it's a big deal. Um, you know, I'm hoping this. Right now, we've got a really solid team. We do have some injury worries. That I think, um, you know, they're causing a little bit of concern. But I think Stevie Clark has a really good team around him. Um, some young players, some more experienced players. Um, so it's a big deal, you know. Uh, no Scotland, no party sort of thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're there. Um, I even tried to get tickets. I entered the lottery, and you know, surprise, surprise, I didn't win. Um, but you know, if they go on sale, I, uh, I might head on over to Germany to see if I can catch a game or two. Coming off of this with uh, World Cup qualification about to start, um, how is it important in the world, the expanded World Cup, that they qualify for that? Because um, we've talked about being in the last two Euros, but no World Cup qualification in quite a while. Yeah, I think the last World Cup qualification was, I want to say, like mid to early 90s, maybe. I thought it was the 80s. Maybe it was the late 80s. It was sometime in that general yeah, it was yeah. sometime in that general area there. It's been a while. We'll put it that way. Um, but I mean, the form that Scotland's looking in right now. I mean, you know, I know, I do, I do realize Spain is not what it used to be. But I mean, it's still, you know, they still have their quality players, and they still are, you know, a, a, a powerhouse in terms of football. Maybe not what they used to be, but you know, for example, like you know, being able to beat them, you know, it really inspires the team and, and Scotland is, you know, well behind them. Um, I think the form that we're in now, if we can take that into the World Cup qualifiers, um, I I feel very good about it. I feel really good. I think instead with the extend World Cup and it being over here in 2026, we're missing out if we don't have the Tartan Army. Oh, of course. I mean, I mean, look, a big reason for this expansion is to have the Tartan Army in the tournament in the first place. We need, we need, we need the Irish, we need the Irish, and we need the Scottish over here for this tournament. No, absolutely. It won't won't be an effective tournament if we don't have the Scottish and the Irish. All right. um, Personal question, Cam. Planning a trip with school to the uh, uh, Scottish Embassy. Number one, are you willing to chaperone? Uh, absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. Number two, what food do we at need to ask them to make for us? Well, I'm we need to sample haggis. I was just going to say, I mean, I think <laughs> I was, it has I was about to say, don't say haggis. <laughs> it has to be. It's so good, though. It's so good. It's <laughs> it's one of those things you don't tell people till after, and they're like, Ah, it wasn't bad though. If you tell them before, they're yeah. just like, nah. I've actually never. I want to try it. I've never had it. I'd love to try it. I mean, I, I don't look, think I've, that, eaten, I don't I've think... eaten plenty of bizarre foods with Andrew Zimmern in my day, so you know, I'd love to try it. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm going in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try the haggis, but I, I'm wondering if that that that's safe to go. And we're gonna teach them about the Highland Games too, because nothing says Scotland like the caber toss. Oh yeah. Let's talk. Let's let's throw a telephone pole over our backs <laughs> for no apparent purpose. For no reason.
<laughs> but we're going to throw a telephone pole because we can. Uh, uh, Celtic had a little bit of a setback on a draw against Motherwell this weekend. Um, gap close a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the Champions League, actually the European League uh, campaign as a whole looks like it's over. Uh, Brendan Rodgers still has the inside track for the league. Um, they drew a team. Oh, yeah, I've got to figure this one out. Um, Bucky Thistle. Non-league team. Well, yeah, Bucky Thistle. <laughs> like, is Bucky, Bucky Thistle. really the name of the town? The name of the town? Yep, Bucky. Yeah, yep. Um, Bucky Thistle. I'm actually trying to remember where they come from. Um, Bucky. Is it Bucky? Is it actually Bucky? I, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's actually there's Bucky. so many weird named places in Scotland. You <laughs> kind of lose track after a while. And apparently they also play in green and white hoops. Amazing. Oh, my God. This, that's going to be great. I saw the videos of them during the draw and how excited they got. Um, you know, absolutely fantastic. So, you know, good on Bucky for having an open seat, mind. Their ground seats, uh, 4,500. The uh, main stand, course. I think, sees 500. And then there's 4,000 standing room around. Fortunately, they're playing at Celtic Park because <laughs> I would have liked to have seen how they would have handled away tickets for that one. <laughs> All they have to do is pump up the price and then they can afford a bigger stadium. <laughs> I mean, th- well, hey, look, this is a money-making operation for them. Yeah. Like, this draw should see them good for at least another year or two. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I think that's part of the reason they were so excited to draw a team like this. Um, you know, I, I, it, it's, it gets some, in, you know, some in the news, some TV coverage, things like that. So, you know, good a on significant them. portion of the gate. And I'm pretty sure everybody, not every fan, but everybody literally who lives in Bucky, We'll be able to get an away ticket to go to Ham to, to Celtic Park to watch yeah. this game. Yeah, all 167 of them will, will probably be at the game, so we'll probably have to sell them to the other towns around them. <laughs> um. So, but I say that to say, like, they've got the inside track on a couple of things. So, domestically, Brendan Rodgers is going to do what he's supposed to do, but man, this has got to be a disappointment again. Yeah, it's. I mean. You know, it's I was so in love with Angie and, you know, his his style of play. And I really do think that if he was still here, you know, after his first campaign in Europe wasn't success, he's the kind of coach that learns. He learns, I think, very effectively from his mistakes, from his successes. Um, And I'm really sad I didn't get to see him, you know, take Celtic into Europe a second time um, and see his improvement. Well, you did. Well, and he lost to yeah. Real Madrid. Yeah, I guess. I guess third time's saying, the charm, though. I guess. I guess. I just. I think Angie, like, he's the kind of guy that I think just needs time to. You know, it took him a little bit. I remember when he first came into Celtic. You know, he people were unsure of his play style. They thought it was, you know, too you know, too much of a bomb scare sort of thing. Um, and it ended up, you know, after a few games really working out and you know he got it locked down and i think that's he just is someone that needs a bit of time sort of thing and i understand you know he did have some time but with brendan rogers it's just back to very i feel like very average gameplay 
you know, it's not as exciting. Um, it's slower. Um, I, I realize as well, we've got players like Hatate and Abada, you know, out on injury, but it's still just, I just feel like it's the same old Brendan Rogers and it hasn't changed since he left sort of thing. So I don't know. I'm not enjoying it as much as when Angie was in charge, but you know, I'm hoping there's a, there's a theory going around that next year, the coffers are going to be opened up. Um, for the next transfer window in order to make a real push at the champions league um, next year. So again, that's just, that's, you know, kind of just little chirps I've heard here and there. So um, looking at the, you know, looking at the the statements from Celtic though, it looks like they they made a really good profit this past season. So I'm hopeful. Um, instead, at some point in time, that team has to make it through <laughs> to play European football in the next calendar year. Like they have to make it through something to the group stages. Even if they fall out of the Champions League and end up in a playoff in the Europa League, they have to play mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. that resembles knockout football in Feb- they have to be playing in Europe in February. Yeah. No, yeah. and I and I think that transition from the because the the way they revamp Europa League, I actually think it makes it more exciting. I do. And I I, I feel kind of sad for the teams that get knocked out that probably used to not get knocked out. But now we have the conference league. So there's more European European football opportunities. And I and um I applaud um what the conference league was able to do for a club like West Ham. But um but in particular though it's yeah, if if Celtic could just finish third, you know what I mean, and get to that playoff game against a team that finishes third and or finishes second in the Europa League group stage, that could that could be you know uh, uh, a, a relatively quality side from Belgium or something like that, and that's a quality game, and 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 Celtic could conceivably win that game and then get to a quarterfinal. I think that's that's a that's a legitimate goal that I don't think should be out of reach, especially for a team that's as dominant as they are in the SPL, because the SPL, I mean, I'm sorry. I feel like you're seeing teams that are in leagues that aren't as competitive as the SPL get a bit further in, in, in European football than, than Celtic seems to do year in, year in and year out. So yeah, that's, I'd of course love to see them get to the round of 16 of the champions league. That would be, that would, that would be fantastic, but that's just going to get harder. I think and harder it's been. And harder. I think yeah. it's. I, it's been about a decade since yeah, they yeah. made that. Yeah, but but and you know, I, I'm a big fan of Europa League. I am, and and and, yeah. uh, and I was before Arsenal was relegated to playing there for a number of years. I've always appreciated Europa League. So you know, when I, they I were think in I, the Europa League and got relegated to the uh, Conference League, I thought that was a tournament that they could make a run at. I agree. Win. Yeah, I agree. And they didn't. Yeah. Um, but look, I what Conference did for Roma, what Conference did for West Ham. I mean, I, I think it's a great tournament. I really do. I think it, I think any time that you get to make a run where you get to late April, early May, mm-hmm. and you're playing in European football, and you can mm-hmm. say you're in a semifinal, it's pretty good playing. Yeah, <laughs> or you can yeah. get to a final where your game in Europe is going to be the only one televised that day, it brings eyes to the club. And that has been the thing that I have said um, for years is they need more eyes on the club. 
but in order to get more eyes on the club, they need to make it a little bit later in European competition. And for a team yeah. that has been as dom- dominant domestically as Celtic has to have struggled as much as they have in Europe. Yeah. And this is going to be painful, Cam, but I'm going to be real honest about it. When you have a team like Rangers that made the run that they made last year in the U- Europa League, and it's it's tough to swallow. Yeah. No, it is. I, I absolutely agree with you. I, I, I think... You know, I'm. I obviously, you know, it was good for Scottish football. The Rangers made it. Um, it was a definitely a, a bit of a blow to, to I think Celtic self esteem. But, um, no, I think I would love to see us. I think you're exact. I think you're absolutely right, Stead, in saying that a Europa League run would be kind of where we I think would succeed. You know, making it to that 16 round it would just get brutal for us at this point in time. You know, I think if we can be consistently in Europa for the next few seasons and get, you know, decently far, do well, um, I think those are the building blocks to us kind of, you know, getting back up there and, and raining some of the glory in again. And this, it's look, you got to kind of get a bit of a favorable draw because we'll see that in Champions League. There'll be some groups that you're like, okay, there's clearly – you know, Arsenal and a bunch of teams that are that are really not of caliber. And so if Celtic could get a draw where they're in with probably, a, you know, a couple of big, you know, one of the big boys and then conceivably be able to draw and get a couple of wins, then, yeah, that's – that's the, the draw is a big deal is what I'm saying. Yeah. Conceivably, they had it this year. I think yeah, they, they sh- did. And yeah. they I, did. I, I, I think just, they I'm trying to be nice. Better. I'm just trying. <laughs> they I, love you, I love you, Cam. <laughs> I'm just trying to help you out. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. They should have done better did. against Copenhagen. They Copenhagen should have. And, and, and Lazio. Yeah. They should La- have. Well, it's, yeah. well, it's uh, you know, fine or whatever when I think. I know. <laughs> I know. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. You're right, though, Mike. This was the year. This was the year. Because yeah. conceivably, I mean, Celtics should be able to compete with Atletico Madrid as well on, on, on a day-in and day-out basis. Celtics should be this able to one, compete This one, this, this game, they did. Mm-hmm. Last time I checked, they gave them a draw. Yeah. And that's the only point that they got. That's the only point they got, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was the losses to, to Feyenoord and Lazio. Lazio at home. Yeah. God. yeah that that was them. bad. Lazio at home was bad. Yeah. Even this one, letting up an immobile double in the mm. 90-plus minute yeah. was was a rough one to take. All right. Um, I banged on Celtic enough as much as I love them. Um, what should I watch for this weekend in the Scottish Premier League or um, in Scotland in general? Yeah, so we do have a couple of good games coming up this week. Um, we have um, – well, it's on Sunday, we've got St. Marin, who are sitting third, playing Rangers, who are sitting second. St. Marin this year is just doing fantastic. Yeah. Um, I'm and really appreciating how they're playing this year. They, really were like, they were like fighting relegation and, and, and hoping to stay top half a couple of times. So, yeah, yep. the fact that they're where they are is pretty good. Yeah. No, Stephen Robson's done a great job there. Um, I think he came from Morecambe FC, which League One? I think League One. Yeah. I think League One. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah. League One. And he's, I mean, he's done a fantastic job. You know, he's kept St. Marin up 
the highest they've been since 85. So that Ranger St. Marin game is going to be good. Uh, there's also a Hibs Aberdeen game, which I think is going to be really good on Sunday. And then the third game, um, which actually involves Celtic, I think will be the least exciting playing St. Johnston, who are uh, second bottom of the table. So, you know, sometimes though, you see these teams at the bottom, you know, kind of pull it out and we'll see, though. <laughs> Where where was that game? Is that at um Celtic Park or is that at St. Johnson? This is St. Johnson. Don't they play on an artificial pitch? Livingston does. Um St. Uh, Johnson still Yeah. Tony Macaroni Arena. Couldn't remember <laughs> whether that was artificial or not. But anyway, I will tell you that watching St. watching Celtic at St. Johnson, if you can find that anywhere. Uh, it's an interesting game to watch because camera angles are a little bit wonky. They're so absurd. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. just kind of set them up somewhere and they're like, oh, this will work. <laughs> I think like one's on the sideline and one's on the roof in the corner. Like yeah. it is a very, very interesting like camera angle thing. So if you want to see a game that's broadcast and produced in a very awkward way, um, I would highly suggest watching this one if you can get a feed of it because there are going to be some really strange camera angles <laughs> at St. Johnston. And, like, and that has nothing to do with anything other than you're going to see vantage points that you just never see in football <laughs> because of the camera positions. Like, I, I like, can't correct I swear there's one on the field and there's one from like the building next door. Yeah. Yeah. The one from the little like, like cubicle where the one announcer sits, you know, it's like a shed yeah. on stilts basically. And yeah, but it's the ridiculous. The shed on stilts like three miles down the road. <laughs> like, it, it is crazy. <laughs> anyway, my brother, it was great to talk to you and great to see you. We hope you had a great um, holiday weekend and we'll catch up with you uh, next week. All right. Thanks, Jens. Appreciate it. Always um, giving us uh, Celtic Cam, giving us the information from the land of enchantments, such as Scotland. So, from Scotland to Germany and all other things, here he is on travel <laughs> again. Fine, Rob. Again, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just cold up here. Really, really cold up here. <laughs> so, uh, let's do a couple of things. Number one, playoffs did not end up well in the MLS for your Red Bulls. Nope. Uh, that was kind of chaotic. I mean, that's did still you guys... going on. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Stead, Stead, I totally hear you. I said the same thing. It was a long break. I'm like, really? Like, you had the international break and the playoffs started again. It was just really weird. Um, but I don't know if you guys caught the end of the Red Bulls um, Cincy match. Um, so Mike Biazga had got a yellow card early somewhere. And then um, he, he we get the penalty kicks. And they're facing the South Ward, which is where the Rebel supporter section is. Now, Mike Miazga is a former New York Rebel, right? So he makes his penalty, and then he goes to the crowd and, like, sort of taunts them a little bit playfully. Like, I guess, like, he does, like, a hard thing or whatever. Like, But he does it after he makes his penalty. So we all take it as a taunt, and it became really chaotic. And so he got another yellow. So 
we're all wondering, like, wait, two, he had a yellow early on. So does that make a red? Like, can he not take a penalty kick again if they go around again? Um, and then we found out later that he was so mad at the referee that he went to the allegedly went to the referee's locker room and had to be held back by security. Um, so that was just chaotic in itself. I mean, the Cincinnati won, you know, just was, they but, shield. But if, he, if he got two yellows, that should be a red forget whether or not he should be able to take a penalty. He shouldn't have been able to play in the next game. I, I, I totally agree. So I don't know how this works. I think someone said that the a yellow drawing penalties is different. I had no idea how that works. I, I wish we had Los here. Los would be perfect for this conversation. Um, <laughs> but, but anyway, look. But I also that, feel like MLS is making that up as they go along because yeah, they can. Uh, a pro, a, yeah, of course. They they, look, they they have a track record for, track record for doing that. But look, Cincinnati won. They have the shield. They're supposed to keep going on. Blah blah blah. My MLS season is over. I just go on. I now I have the wonderful but just like to keep me company. Well, don't feel bad. Um, Cincinnati beat the Philadelphia Union on a ninety-minute oh. goal that was offside. But yep, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Poor Chelsea Mike. Poor, forget poor Chelsea Mike. Poor me. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think took Chelsea Mike to his first union game? Well, look, do you think I'm going to have pity for the Chester Union? No, thank you. <laughs> Listen, our team plays closer to the city that is named after than yours. Not, uh, not, not really. Maybe we, we have to figure this out. Actually, uh, actually, they do look. by like a half a mile. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did the measurements. I I, I rather live in Harrison. I rather live in Harrison, where I get p- good Peruvian food, than be shut up and filled with toxic toxic chemicals like Chester. <laughs> yeah, but we win stuff you don't. Um. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the Bundesliga continues to keep taking over. Uh, the Hurricane keeps scoring goals. Uh, but before we get into that. Julian Nagelsmann's time with uh or with 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 uh Germany, that is not going so well. No, um, I'm kind of perplexed. Look, look, he's a club manager. He's a club coach, and I think he felt sort of a duty. Well, actually, he did two things. Number one, um, I think he felt a duty to. You know his his country of birth and blah 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 to take this job when they asked him to take it, but number two, it gets him out of the Bayern contract. So now, no team, no club has to pay Bayern a fee to get him out. So, so that's a whole thing in itself. So like Nagelsmann wins, but he has to suffer with this this band of like you know misaligned talent, and they're gonna limp toward the Euros, and then. They might. They're only they here. Got, they're only here because they, gotta, they don't have to qualify. Yeah, they got to do something because you. I never thought that I would sit here and say that a German team is going to struggle to get out of group stage in a Euro tournament that they are hosting. 
And right now, I just don't see where they're competitive. And I understand that the talent is a little bit offline, but there's still a lot of talent there. No, like there's, a ton, got a, there's a ton, yeah. You've got to um, just look at some of the Bayern guys. You've got a, uh, a Musiala who's playing great, L- L- Leroy Zane, who, who is in the form of his entire life. With those two alone, you should be able to come up with a, a, a um, formula that could win you at least a couple of games. I mean, you would think so, but their center backs are atrocious. Um, you know, like Nicolas Sula and Slaughterbeck have been just god awful. Um, and then Nagelsmann puts Kai Havertz randomly at the left back position, though he didn't play really like a left back per se. He kind of like shifted over toward the middle. Like he was only a left back on the team sheet for the most part, but you know, it's just those crazy, really random decisions that like we're wondering, like, what are you doing? Like, come on, this is this is not rocket science. Like the players can play, just put them in good spots. But the problem is that I feel like in the certain positions, like the wingers, for example, um, and like they're just fully stacked, but there's only so many spots left, and then they don't have good defensive players. Um, I have no faith in Terstegen, but whatsoever. I mean, I Kevin Trapp's okay, but I'd rather have Kevin Trapp, but you know, that's not good. And then you got Mendo Neuer potentially trying to come back for the Euros. He's a lunatic. Um and that actually might be that might actually happen come the spring, the next winter windows or so. So um they have no proper attacking fullbacks. They have no fullbacks whatsoever to speak of. I mean, they put Schlotterback out there. They'll put Sulu out there. And we're just wondering, like, what... I mean, they had David Rahm, which is it's just a good player, but he's not, like... He's not international player. You know, like, there's certain players that are international, but he's just not it. I'm sorry. Um, And... You know, look, the Germany U seventeens are doing well. They're in the they're in they're in the final World Cup final, and it's great. But we don't we're not going to see that for five six years. So I don't know what Nagelsmann is going to do. Maybe he needs a full camp with his crew. He needs like a good solid two weeks, like of just training. Um, maybe race a ship. But honestly, if they make it to the quarterfinals, that's an accomplishment for this this squad, at least based on the current form. This baffles me because when I looked at the German team that won the World Cup in 2014 and who they were letting go, but who they were also bringing in in certain places, I never thought that we would be here 10 years later. Where it's not that they're not competing to win titles. It's like we're having this conversation. Can they get out of a group in a tournament that they automatically qualified for because it's at home? Like, can Germany get out of the group stages of a tournament that's being played in Germany? You know, well, uh, yeah. Go on, Stead. I was just going to say that's the most baffling thing because, you know, say what you want about Brazil, the, the best international team in the world, historically speaking, is Germany. And when you when you when you look when you look beyond simply finals, when you look beyond you know championships, when you see how you know Mike, you know the saying: you put twenty two guys in the field and Germany wins. It's 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 to to, to think that Germany 
has actually the possibility of them not quarterfinaling in an international tournament is baffling enough as it is. So if you're talking about group stage, then you have to really be scratching your head going, uh, this, look, Germany's not Italy. You see the Steiger start from Italy, who's who's won, you know, championships galore, but you don't but see this kind also of stuff have, Yeah, but they are, and on top of that, they have a team in Bayern Munich which largely is built on German players that is expected to make a run in the Champions League. I get what you're saying, like, but where, Rob, but where is the where is this falling flat? Like I I, I would expect that you say you don't have a right back. I've seen Kimmich play there. Um, and he hates it there, by the way. He hates it. <laughs> he wants no part of it. He, a, he wants no part of it. But 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 I'm saying, if you tell him that Philip Lom didn't want any parts of it, but they won World Cup with him there. Well, and... Philip Lom was a fullback in training. He they Pep tried to make him a midfielder. That didn't work out too well. Uh, it worked okay, but I, but, I, but yeah, no, I, I get you. I get your point though. I bet you if he lifts a trophy, he's going to be okay with playing right back if that's what it takes to win one. Well, like, it's funny you say that because Kimmich technically won a trophy. He won a Champions League playing right back. Like, the the midfield mm-hmm. was Thiago and Goretzka, and uh, Pavar got hurt, and they, Hanti Flick moved Kimmich to the, to the right because he had no one else to put him there, and then look what happened. Like, they won. Like, it, it was Kimmich's ball to Coleman that won them the final. So, no, I totally, I totally hear you. Like, I think, like, I think, you know, Kim, I mean, Nagelsmann might have to do it. Um, but they're just like, you know, I, like, look, I think I like Phil Krug as well. I think he's a good number nine, but, like, he's not, like, a star player number nine, you know? Um, they don't know what to do with Thomas Muller either. Um, and they don't know what to do with Kai Havertz at all. Like, um, I I'm so perplexed why you took a a number ten who and then who got sold to Chelsea as a number ten, and then Chelsea tried to make him to something, not a number ten, and Arsenal sort of are not making him to number ten either. They never tried to make him an eight or something. Um, I'm just perplexed on Kai Havertz in general. Uh, Musiala, you don't know where you want where you want to play him. Do you want to play him in a winger? Do you want to play him as as a attacking ten? Um, this team is just all over the place. Um, it's just really bad. Like I, I, they're just they have no answers, and it's like it's like the players dread going to Germ- like playing for those colors because like they do well at club, well, well, Leroy especially until he got a random red card for in Germany, but like. Uh, you know, Nagelsmann has to fin- figure this out fast, and I know he has the job only till, till you know the summer, and then he's he's out because he wants a club job. But he needs to figure it out because you know potentially any club that wants him is going to look at this and be like, you know what, maybe we don't want you. You know, maybe you can't be a top tier club coach. You're gonna he's got to go to like an Atletico Madrid or that level to get back into the coaching ranks because, you know, you, you think Real's going to offer him a job if he doesn't make the quarterfinals like uh, of of a 
tournament that they're hosting? No. Like it's he Nagelsmann's gambling big here on his on himself, which you know I respect, but he's might pay the price for it because this team is this team is in shambles. You know what the most jacked up thing is? You know who might be the best person for the job? Tom Stuckel. <laughs> I was just about to say that. Say Waluigi. <laughs> because he's one of the few people who go in and look at him and say, like, all right, this is what I got. This is what we're going to do. And say, okay, here's how we're going to play it. Here's what we're going to do. This is the formation. This is where you're going to play. This is where you're going to play. But he's in Nagelsmann's job at Bayern Munich, which is one of the reasons why Nagelsmann has the Germany job. Because Hansi Flick, who used to be the Bayern manager, let got got canned. Yeah. So anyway, so maybe we can blame all the failings of the German national team on Bayern Munich. Thank you. We appreciate it. You know what? All the Bayern Munich fans really don't care because they they're it's a poor club. But you know, based on the the stands in Qatar, based on the support. Where they travel here in the U.S. and based on, you know, their support when they play at home, even the the fans are not coming out for uh, Germany. They come out for club. They come out for uh, like two Bundesliga clubs, but they won't come out for Germany. So, uh, Bayern Munich top of the table. They're through. And the now, Leverkusen still is. Well, yeah. Leverkusen still is. Uh, I had my math wrong. How much longer is Leverkusen still? Actually, all right, I'll change the narrative. How much longer can Leverkusen stay up there? Okay, so they have a big match this week against Dorman. And Dorman, who, you know, looked terrible last week, but then still won. <laughs> like, uh, But they, they did look good against in the Champions League. This, and and I, was just about to say, I was just about to say that. Like, Dorman just, are just a weird team. They're like... Like the Bundesliga is like too hard for them, but in Champions League they like they feel more relaxed. They almost like they just feel like they could defend a little bit more, and they that's I think that's a system that they're meant to play. But you know, you and I know who've been watching football for a bit. Dortmund's style, quote unquote, has been this rock and roll, clop as football, which is just attack, 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 and press, press, press. And that's not Ter- Terzic doesn't coach that way. Number one, number two, he doesn't have the players to do it. But he, I think they feel more inclined to attack in when they're playing in the Bundesliga because they're one of the more talented teams. But when they're Champions League, they're not one of the more talented teams. So it seems like they they will kind of like stand back a little bit to let the games come to them and they'll counter that way. And it seems like it, it works well for them. But so Leverkusen. Play, play Dorman, and it's probably the only team um, that can really take points off of them, I think, at least until January, and I'll explain to you why um, in a bit. So, but then Bayern are going up against, you know, Union Berlin, who are struggling for anything. They've just been awful. Um, they fired Earl Fischer, um, and so Union can sneak something here. Um, I don't think they will, but they can. Uh, and Dortmund could take points from Leverkusen, but I, if, if the history has shown us that they won't, Leverkusen is just too good. Like, 
they have they have no major injury issues. All their players are healthy. They're contributing. Grimaldo has been amazing, and and uh, as the as the left back, Frimpong's been amazing as the right back. Yeah, Jonas Hoffman and Florian Vitz, who are doing well, as along with Victor Boniface, who, by the way, was offered to Dortmund, and Dortmund did not take it. So now he's playing for Xavi Alonso and Leverkusen, doing excellent, by the way. Um, now, when it comes to how long can Leverkusen handle, you know, remain on top, the key is going to be the African Cup of Nations in uh, January, <clears throat> because. Uh, Leverkusen will be losing about five players, including their star striker, Victor Boniface. Um, so that's going to be potentially an issue. Like, Javier Javi Lazo is going to have to figure that out and manage and manage this roster and use more of his, more of his bench, and they might drive points because of it. So if you know, this is a this is now a two horse race. You know, forget Stuttgart. In my opinion, forget Dortmund. This is now a race between Leverkusen and Bayern, and Leverkusen, you know, need need to get through the month of January, part of February. And if they're still on top or or tied or very close, this is still a race. So we have to watch out for them next seat next year and see how they do. Then, how excited are are, are you to see Leverkusen possibly hit? <laughs> <laughs> look, I look. I I will look. I I don't support big pharma. I'm sorry, is that my thing? So, uh, I would love Leverkusen to dr- drop a little bit. Um, I mean, look, I like the I like the race. Obviously, it's good for the league. It's um, it's good to see uh, not only different players do well, uh, a different coach from outside uh, Germany do well and come in and do well. But you know, look, I mean. Both of them have not lost. The only reason that Bayern are in second is because they drew one extra game. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is like, you know, Leverkusen have been just about perfect. And I don't think they're going to keep up, keep this up. I really don't. They're going to drop points here and there. The question is, is Bayern going to drop points as well? Because, you know, they, they can. I mean, look, they, they barely beat uh, Cone last week. One zero. I mean, they had plenty of chances, but their uh, the cone keeper saved them plenty of times. But you know, those, those victories are they make you sweat. You know, Byron don't dominate games like they used to, and so I know they got Harry Kane, and Harry Kane's been a lifesaver. He's been amazing. Uh, but that defense is still shoddy, and they're one injury away from like not having any center backs. I mean, like Open McConnell just got back. Right, um, Kim is a great, great player, but he need, he needs to rest too. Like you know, and deletes, you know, injured. He's not coming back till January. He's trying to come back for the last ma- match day of the year, but I don't think he will. But yeah, like they're they're just bare bones. They don't have any like midfielders either. They're playing Conrad Limer randomly as a as a right back, and I'm like, he's a midfielder, but I don't. Sh- all right, Tuchel, you you know something. You have the job. I don't. Um, so no, Bayern Bar- are susceptible to dropping points just as much as Leverkusen will be susceptible come January. We got to give credit to Xavi Alonso for the job that he has done. Part of me worries because I've seen this with other players who have become managers and had a modicum of success 
early on in their career. Um, I hope that he's one who, and because of the people who he's played under, is able to sustain it. Um, I just don't want him to be another Frank Lampard, uh, Stevie G, uh, G, Roy Kane Mm -hmm. comes to mind as guys who had a lot of success to start with, but then their stick wore thin. Um, Alonzo played a different position. He seems to have a different temperament Mm -hmm. than some of them. Um, so it would be nice to see him be successful. I mean, mm. hell is going to create a crap ton of problems for Spanish teams when you have Xavi Alonso and Xavi both doing well as managers. Who do you pick? Because they need to get somebody to come in. Yeah. But um, so you already mentioned uh, Bayern's game and uh, Bayern Leverkusen's game. Um, uh, what else do we need to look forward to this weekend in the Bundesliga? Um, so the game I would like uh, I would like to see is Leipzig Heidelheim, and the reason it's one of my top spiels is because Leipzig lost last week. I think Heidelheim is a, like a kind of like that spunky club. Um, I know they're playing at Leipzig, but that doesn't really matter. Like you know, they have, they, I mean they have home support, but they're mostly employees of, of the brand. Um, I think Heidelheim could steal points here. Um, that's encouraging. Um, so uh, they've been playing much better than we all expected, and also partially because Union has been trash. Um, so look for them to potentially steal points from Leipzig and potentially surprise them. I don't think, I don't think like Heidelheim will will win, but I think it could be a draw. This this game is prime for a draw here. And honestly, you know, like, look, I know, I think the Bayern Union game is going to be interesting because I know Bayern playing at home, but I think Union needs like a new manager bounce. And this is a game where if they get a draw here, not only does it hurt Bayern, but I think Union gets gets a brief some life, and they'll like they can put develop some positive momentum heading into the winter break. Um, so they're gonna they're gonna be up for this game and. Union has given Bayern heartaches before, in la- especially last season. Um, so this could be a kind of I feel like it's almost like a trap game. Um, and look, and then but obviously the the top spiel is Leverkusen Dortmund. That definitely is that that's must watch TV, eleven thirty a.m. Eastern on Sunday. Um, so definitely watch that. Uh, just one more thing. Uh, I want to talk about Javier Alonso real quick. Um, the one thing I think that sets Xavi Alonso a little bit differently is that it, he's it feels like he's done the work. And I I it's very cliche when can I say it a lot, but he's done the work. When I mean by that, he's like not only when he went to Real Sociedad and started and went back to his home club and you know started working on the youth level and academy, but like he came to Germany um and played for Bayern just because Pep was here. And not because like oh, I want to win trophies, the Pep's gonna, you know, bring me bring me trophies. No, he wanted to learn under Pep, so he learned a lot, like about coaching from him. Uh, and so Javi Alonso has used his experience in the Bundesliga um, 
to his advantage. And he brought his own sense of style um, in possession of baseball. He's brought a little bit of the German pressing as well. Um, and then at the same time, you know, he the players are playing for him. They love hearing his, you know, his his, uh, his ideas, his tactics. Um, so they're all motivated. They're all hungry to learn, um, which is encouraging. Also, no, don't get me wrong. Xavi yeah. Alonso has played and learned from a lot of really good managers in his time as a player. And if he has been able to take the positives from each one of those players that he played, uh, those managers that he played with, then he's really, really, really yeah. well set to be a very effective manager. But you know as well as I do, you know, for every one player manager who former player man who becomes a manager who's successful, there's two who aren't. Yeah, no, I, and I totally agree. Look, I I understand that. I think my, I think you know you he, you hear these things from coaches. Who love to coach, and I feel like you don't. You have not heard those things from when Frank Lampard was was in Derby County. You know what I mean? Um, also, like Javi Lanza knows like really good German, which just helped a ton. Like, like I think he's worked on it. He knew he learned it. Um, I remember I remember watching him and Tiago in a Bayern Munich video learning German, and he's really like here to he actually speaks really good German. He an, will answer the press in German, so. So just another one, another added layer of his intelligence, and I think he's going to be successful. The question is, though, um, let's just say he wins the league. He if he wins the league, like is that all he, he is that enough for him to move on, and some of the players to move on, or is is like the calling of a Real Madrid too strong to ignore? Does he does he feel like you know what I I should stay at Leverkusen another season and see if I if this works for me? Or oh, if he know, wins, if, if he wins the league, he needs to leave, and everybody else does. Yeah, who's associated with it? Because you will never accomplish more <laughs> than you did that moment. Like, just get out. The stock will never be higher. Um, go grab your bank, grab your money, take your talents to wherever they will pay you. And I hate to say that, but. This isn't the Bayern Leverkusen of the 70s and 80s. Um, they're not in a position where they're going to start cha- challenging for Champions Leagues. If he wins a league with Bayern Leverkusen, let's put it even as a binary thing, Rob. If he wins a league with Bayern Leverkusen, that means Bayern Munich didn't. Yeah, this which is means, huge. Yeah, which means an already combustible coach and Thomas Tuchel didn't win the league. And we know that here is a guy who the end of this season will have put him in a position where he's been at Bayern Munich long enough that he's going to self-destruct because that's what he does. Yeah. <laughs> Xavi Alonso is a former Bayern Munich coach. If he wins the league with Bayern Leverkusen, why would you stay Bayern Leverkusen when you can move to Bayern Munich? 
and try yeah, and do the same thing. Take that good, bank. Good, yeah, good question. No, excellent, excellent point. You know, you're right. We don't know what we don't know what's in his head. I think he, he you know, he's not dense. He knows that. You know, there's going to be jobs opening for him. There's going to be bags of money being thrown at him. And even if he doesn't win the league, he, he, it, the offers will still, will still stand. Mm-hmm. Thomas Tuchel could self-implode in Champions League. He, he, you know, he could barely win the league, and he'll get he could get sacked. Like that's how brutal the Bayern Munich job is. And you know, Javi Alonso might be like, you know what, I want to go to, I want to go back to Spain, or I want to stay here one more year if he can keep the band together, or you know what. Go down south and get that biometric money, and you know what? Like, and he will be welcomed with open arms, hundred percent. He would also take the Spain job because that'll be open after the Euros unless they win. Yeah. All right, my friend. Um, we'll catch up with you next week, and uh, 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 great talking to you as always. Let's move in a different direction in Eastern Europe and bring on our good friend from the country next door. (laughs) Professor Matt, how goes it, my good friend? Well, Mike, I have a question. Is that a Mm. robe, a Santa Claus smoking jacket? You gotta listen to the start of the show. Yeah, yes, this is a bathrobe. I'm going with my bathrobe. I took off the ascot because it was bothering my neck, but yeah, it is a bathrobe. I'm doing the show in my bathrobe, and if you have a problem with it, say something. You know why? Hey, I got because I can't, bro. You're good to go, man. I, I want to get the big Jedi bathrobe with the big old hood. You know, it wraps around with the big floppy sleeves. I got one, but you know, you know the hood that comes down like this. You know, that's yeah. the one. I no, want. I got, I got my, I got my hood. But I don't think I want. I'm, a, I'm I know we're rocking robes on this show. Shoot, we have a robe show. I'll rock my robe next week. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna rock his robe next week. I'm gonna come out in my in my dinner jacket. Yeah. Just, just to spite you, <laughs> right. I gotta keep you all, all. You got a pipe. I might do that. <laughs> might do that. <laughs> Let's start with this one. Um, this goes out to uh, our. Good friend of the show. Um, he's been on a couple of times. It's Ben. Matt freaking Albania. Yeah. I got the Larika Kana jersey behind me, which I'm I, finally I gonna see. get. Dude. I'm finally gonna get some use out of that thing. How on earth? Like, I don't even know how I missed this happening while it was happening. It's one of those ones where they're qualifying, they're qualifying, you think they're going to lose, you think they're going to lose, you think they're going to lose, you think they're going to drop points, you think they're going to drop points, and then they don't. And you come into the last weekend and you're like, oh, crap, all you need to do is keep breathing and your automatic qualifiers for Europe. And that was kind of what they did. Yeah. Uh, We discussed this the last time we were on, right before the international break. It's not so much names, although if you look at that squad closely, there are a lot of these guys playing in the first division in Italy. So, I mean, there's something to be said about that. But, you know, this Albanian squad is really proof positive of, look, if you have a system, and it's funny because I when I came on, you were talking to Byron Rob about the German national team's issues. If you have a system and you have guys who can buy into their roles, 
in a system. You can take a good to mediocre squad and at, at the very least get into a tournament. Uh, now, to be said, if you look at that group closely, a lot, hey, full credit to Albania, but the two favorites, I think, coming in, uh, the Czech Republic and Poland, uh, you know, Albania's success is as much about their failings. And in the Czechs' case, it's, look, they're missing Patrick Schick. Uh, they're a different squad when he's up front. Uh, Poland, out of Santos tax, uh, we hired the wrong guy. And we're, we're in the playoffs now because we're paying for it. Well, there are, um, as our Eastern European expert, um, this upcoming Euros definitely has a fair few Eastern European teams, a uh, fair few uh, former uh, Russian republics. Um, I've got my Larika Kana jersey up um, as a proud ethnic Slovakian. Uh, I get to see the Slovaks in the tournament and possibly not the Czechs. That's going to make my grandfather, uh, that would have made my grandfather very, 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 very happy where he's still alive because he refused to acknowledge that he was Czechoslovakian, he was Slovak. Um, we talked about this being a team, a tournament that could have an Eastern European bend, and it definitely does, and it definitely skews towards those former Soviet republics that we haven't seen necessarily in tournaments in a while. Yeah, so if you look at the playoffs, uh, the three brackets, so uh, bracket A, you have Poland, uh, and they're playing Estonia. I honestly did not realize Estonia was even in the playoff conversation, and then Coach Matt you know, lamented, you know, this is Ireland's fault, effectively. Uh, it's been a while since a Baltic nation has even sniffed a major tournament. I think was Lat did Latvia qualify in 2004? Or am I, am I losing I, my mind? Because they, like, I, I can't Germany remember whether, the, whether right? Latvia was, I thought Latvia was, like, 2008. Maybe, but I could be wrong. Maybe, but it's been a while since La I I, I recall seeing Latvia in anything. Uh, yeah, or any of the, of the of the Baltic republics. Uh Ukraine is in pot two. Pot three, I find fascinating because you have Georgia against Luxembourg. They play the winner of Greece and Kazakhstan. Yeah, Latvia was two thousand four. I that's right. what I Yeah. Uh one of those two post-Soviet teams, I think, are getting out of that bracket. Uh, Georgia has some really interesting young players, one really super talented young player. And look, as we've seen in qualifying, Kazakhstan, they sort of fall under that Albania bracket. If you have players that are a modicum of talent and you have a system and they're well-disciplined, you know they can they they can they they went mano a mano with you know uh, Denmark and uh, a pretty good uh, Slovenia team. So yeah, I 
there's already with the expanded field a fair number of Central and Eastern European teams. The playoffs, I think, are going to bring more. And like I said, I, I, I'm as excited about POTS 1 and 2, where I actually have some, quote-unquote, ethnic rooting interest, uh, as I am with POT 3. Because I tell you, a, a post-Soviet republic that we have not seen in a major tournament is going to be playing in the Euros this summer. One of Georgia the funny thing is, like, um, when you look at the number of teams, the playoffs could uh, tilt the balance of teams towards Central and Eastern Europe from uh, Southern Western, right? There's already a significant number of teams in uh, post-Soviet republics and Croatia, the former Yugoslavian republics, uh, Slovakia being in there. Uh, we talked about Albania's um Hungary relevant again. Hungary, um, you know, so there's a number of them that are already in there. Um and now, you know, with the playoffs. So yeah, that 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 we're gonna see some teams again that we haven't seen. And as much as I hate to say that um Infante had a good idea when he expanded the Euros. He had a good idea. It's the group stages and things, even with the Portugal the first year drawing their way to a European championship because France lost it. It's still been a more engaging tournament because of these extra teams that you get in there that you don't normally get to see for whatever reason. Um, we can talk about why Scotland can qualify for Euros, but they can't qualify out of basically the same qualifying tournament for a World Cup. That's besides the point. But you get to see them in these tournaments, and uh, I, I just think it's it's really going to be good to see um, uh, how 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 they play. Um, so we're also going to welcome on another. Uh, Central and Eastern European fan, uh, but who primarily covers uh, the lower leagues for us. Uh, Chelsea, Mike, how goes it? Uh, I hope you had a good uh, uh, holiday, too. I did. Thank you for asking. It's best of yours. Mm -hmm. We talked about it. Yeah, it was a good one. So, Matt, um, yes. Before he goes, can I, can I ask Professor Matt, a question. And if you if you covered this, uh, just Professor say Matt, you're not going anywhere. You, you need to stay. You stick around, Professor Matt. No, he's <laughs> not going. I was yeah. going to ask him a question, and yeah. Matt wants Mike wants to ask him something before uh, okay. I do. Oh, uh, I say he's going somewhere. All right. Yeah. So, Matt, shock, Shakhtar. Did you talk about Shakhtar? No. Uh, can I? Can I? Can I run my show? <laughs> <laughs> Can, Can I, I ask my, my question? Because it's a good segue. It's a good... Matt. Oh, got it. Can I be in charge for a little bit? Fine, go on. Go on. I'll hey, have the best we follow-up question there. Hey, ever. Porto Shakhtar is the Champions League game there. to watch, though, in a couple weeks. That's yeah. the game right there. But go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. It was on my list of things to do, but then he messed up the whole entire flow of everything because we were supposed to cover... 
Eastern Europe and the domestic leagues before we got into the Champions League to deal with freaking Shakhtar. Why can't you let me be in charge, doggone it? <laughs> I've got I've got problems with authority. That's my problem. I'm going to show you what you can do with your problems with authority and your oppositional defiant disorder and eject you from this podcast. <laughs> oh, <laughs> go on. I apologize that so, I uh, because because this is all screwed now. I'll go back to what I was going to do later. Um, let's talk about Shakhtar. Yeah, uh, huge two results in a row for them. Uh, beating Barcelona, and I, I'll be honest, I don't know very much about Antwerp. Uh, I did watch the match today, though. They're in a position to get to the round of 16 for the first time in a while. And as a Liverpool fan, my frame of reference for Porto is like ass beatings. Uh, it's It, it seemed annually. Uh, this is not peak Liverpool, but if the Shakhtar, if, if, you, if, if the Shakhtar team that beat Barcelona shows up, they they have more than a, than a puncher's chance. The Porto team that has been playing in the Champions League has not looked as threatening as Porto teams in the past have. So yeah, this has the opportunity for Shakhtar to make it into uh, the group stage or the uh, knockout stages of the Champions League. Which, again, given the situation in the Ukraine, given the situation that the team is in, given the fact that they've had to uh, dispense of so many of their farm players, this is huge for them. Yeah, and it's potentially huge for a guy who I know when uh, we were going back and forth in the group chat during the Italy-Ukraine match, uh, Sudakov. He is a guy who can actually wreck a game. And he, this may be his springboard. The, the, fun, the sad thing is Shakhtar may get to the round of 16, but their best player will be gone because he's going to be sold in January. Uh, his stock just keeps going up and up. And he's an interesting one. I mean, he can play. I In, in a weird way, I think he is what, Arsenal think Kai Havertz could possibly be. He's a 10, but can also play an eight. Uh, right. I don't know about striker per se, but like he's that sort of jack of all trades midfielder. Uh, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, and again, and I've said this time and time again on the show, any Ukrainian team advancing in European tournaments is a good, not a bad thing because you're then forced to talk about Ukrainian football, which means you're forced to talk about Ukraine. So let's talk about Ukrainian football. What goes on in the Ukrainian Premier League? Uh, it's strange, <laughs> to, to put it mildly. And, uh, you know, I go back to what I was saying the last couple shows. Uh, because of a lot of the postponements, the schedule is still all kinds of wonky. But if you look at the table, this is not what you would assume it, it is. Uh, I don't know what, again, because with the long winter break, 
uh, it's almost like two very separate seasons. But you know, if you look at you look at the European spots, other than Shakhtar, these 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 are not the names you 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 necessarily expect. How much of that has to do with the way the season is set up, the way that um, the big clubs have set up and then lost players? Like, this was one of those things that would favor some of the smaller clubs that are actually able to retain a team because they're not relying on foreign players who would then leave when this situation happens. That's a, That's been a big part of it. Uh, Nipro, that finished runners-up last year, their best player was taken in the summer. Uh, you know, Dynamo Kiev has dealt with injuries, cancellations, and, you know, uh, we're now on what we think Shafovsky is the new manager he's going to be, uh, the 80 year, the geriatric Romanian finally called it quits and he was, he was forced to, and I'm okay with that, uh, and Zoroya, who's been rock solid for the last decade, are just inexplicably bad. Uh, and I I can't explain why they're bad, but they're bad. So, yeah, I mean, it, part of it's the, you know, lack of foreign players, the, the sort of continuity with some of the smaller clubs. Uh, but also, too, I mean, so a lot of the bigger teams have, again, suffered from Injury, key injuries, uh, and again, like like I said, in regards to Zoroya, I I don't understand why they're this bad. Uh, they're effectively returned the same squad, but they they just can't do anything. So, other places to look in Eastern Eastern Europe as far as football goes. Anything that we should be paying attention to that we're not? I mentioned this on my short. I will mention it briefly from time to time in the show uh watch croatia and what i when i say watch croatia the croat premier league has essentially been the bundesliga for geez the last decade and a half it's dinamo zagreb and dudes uh i was at a wedding in the summer and you know a guy who we do fantasy sports with who's croatian got me at the bar and he was like, you must watch Croatian Premier League this year. Something will happen. And I was like, oh, okay, man. Uh, but indeed, what, what he was hinting at is manifested. We have a bona fide title race. Uh, I took split at the moment or top the table. And at first I kind of said, okay, this is a mirage. It will correct itself. We've talked about Dynamo Zagreb on this program before. They gave Mike Ajita in the Champions League last year. They are a factory, but like a lot of factories, and again, this is part of the issue with being a even a bigger Eastern European club. The Wolves, with briefcases full of money, they come a-knocking. And, you know, Dinamo Zagreb has been able to, you know, replace these pieces. The cupboard's kind of barren at the moment, uh, right? I mean, they have uh, Petrovic up front. But other than that, you know, this isn't this isn't the team of Danny Omo from a couple of years back. Uh, I'd split very quietly. 
has built a really nice little swad of guys who are all around the ages of 24, 25. And, you know, that continuity and has, you know, really starting to shine through. And yeah, this is something it's worth, it's, it's worth tuning in for because this is, we assume that Bayern Munich is going to win the Bundesliga. Right, you know, the questions you kept asking Byron Rob is how long can Leverkusen do this? Mm-hmm. I may have said this on the sh- that short. I'll uh you know I'll say it if I didn't, I'll say it here. Hyduk Split has a better chance of dethroning this Dynamo Zagreb monopoly than any uh, than the field does in the Bundesliga. Uh so it is worth watching and some of these some of these players on um, split are going to be in the Croatian squad in the summer, uh, particularly a large center back by the name of Boban. But that's neither here nor we'll, we'll we'll address that at another time. About five years ago, I found myself into Brovnik the summer okay. after after uh, Croatia won the World Cup, and we were taking a tour. We were taking the Game of Thrones tour of Dubrovnik, led by our tour guide who was as Croatian as they come. His name was Darko. Mm-hmm. Darko had the perfect sense of humor. He looked Croatian and he had the very, very dry Croatian sense of humor. You could not tell whether he was telling a joke or he was just t- speaking the truth. And 99% of the time, he was not actually telling a joke. He was just funny when he spoke the truth. And I congratulated him on making it to the uh, finals of the World Cup Oh, yes, it was a very, very good time. But if you started to follow soccer more over here, have you seen it? No, because I live in Dubrovnik and we suck. (laughs) We play water polo here, not soccer. I assure you that within four years, nobody will pay attention anymore. Uh, That's, I mean, look, water polo is their quote-unquote national sport. Uh, the, the, the problem with the Croatian League, like almost all the leagues in ex Yugoslavia, the big teams from the old Yugoslavian team league dominate, and the small the Mike's puree, the low quote unquote lower league teams, they, they blow. Uh, and they, uh, well, they, I tried to ask him, like, bankrupt every couple uh, of years. I wanted to get a scarf or something for the local team in Dubrovnik, and he refused to tell me who they were because he did not believe that an American could possibly inter- be interested in Croatian uh, soccer because he didn't think it was relevant in any way, shape, or form, and there was no way that I could convince Darko that this was worthwhile. Wait, well, you no, know, this is four years ago, so this is before there was a title race. So Darko knew what was happening now. Maybe his tune would be different. Maybe maybe he would have suggested split because that's not too far. But no, there is a rivalry. The, that is the closest "quote unquote" big club. Yeah, but there is a rivalry in between Dubrovnik and Split for the tourist money, mm. and they do not really particularly like each other. All right. Um. Before we move on and talk about the lower leagues with uh, Chelsea, Mike. Um. A couple of things. First off. We talked about this at the top of the season uh, show. Um, It seems like it's a three-team race in between Liverpool, Chelsea, and Arsenal. Um, 
or I'm sorry, Liverpool, Man City, and Arsenal. Why did I say Chelsea? Um, I, I don't know. I I, I appreciated the you, promotion, you, promotion, but but we get but, murdered four um, one, and Mike's making us title holders. Nice. <laughs> so no correction, Chelsea, Mike That's on that slip, aura, right? Mike. <laughs> yeah, it was the aura of stuff. But um, where do you think you need to be going into this to uh, really make it a legit race? Going down the stretch because I, we know what City's going to do. I don't like talking title races until January, but a thought did occur to me over the weekend. All all three of these teams, if they make one big move or one key move in January, can potentially position themselves. Uh, as crazy as it sounds, City, and this was apparent uh, on Saturday, they actually need another midfielder. Uh, Kovacic is a dead person. Uh, Matthias Nunez exists, but I think he exists as a concept. I forgot he was on that team. Uh they they need something and and Pep's afraid to to play Calvin Phillips. They need another eight or eight kind of six sort of guy, uh, because they look like they're a guy short. Uh, us, it's it's really easy. We need a we need a DM not named Endo. Uh, and for Arsenal, it's it's a striker. I mean. That's that. That's the name of the game there, especially when Gabriel Jesus gives an interview during the international break that says, "I am not a striker." Uh, well, he can't say healthy. I mean, regardless well, of what, uh, yeah, he that's can't say true, healthy. He can't but, play. Yeah. but when the guy who has number nine on your back mm. straight up says, "I'm I, I I'm not a striker," and look, I quite like it. Jesus, mm-hmm. but I like him as a complimentary piece, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Because you don't have the wingers that we had, let's say, back in the day with Mo and Salah, mm-hmm. and he can do some of the Bobby things, but his goal output, Bobby didn't score a lot of goals, but Bobby scored important goals. Mm-hmm. Jesus will go missing for two months, either because he's injured or because he's you know, injured. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, if, I mean, he's quite effective when he's on the field. He's just rarely ever on the field. It, it, yeah. if, if, if Arsenal get a striker, if we get a defensive midfielder, if City can get another midfielder, either an eight or a six that can sort of be relied upon. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing with City too. They can get. I think they can win the title because I've seen them do it without De Bruyne. If Rodri misses a month or two, they're screwed. They're actually screwed. Like, their defense is fine. Hallen's going to score his goals. Although, that's another question you might have to ask. Like, Jeremy Doku was brilliant on Saturday. I don't know if he has end product. Like, they have some really good wingers. But other, but they're, they're, they're guys who maybe can get you 10 goals a year in the league. Maybe. So it's it I I think it's gonna be what these three teams do in January. Yeah. Right. I agree. Wait, I, <laughs> I agree. I mean, sorry, Matt, I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> also, I don't know, I know 
G was on, a thought occurred to me during the international break. There's talk of, you know, Arsenal also adding a midfielder. I have maybe a, a, a different kind of solution. Go out, get yourself a defensive-minded left back, and free my man Alexander. Yeah. It's free. Yeah. He's not a left back. Pep masqueraded him as that. Mm -hmm. He's a goddamn eight. Do you, you see the creativity and the freedom he has when he mm -hmm. for Ukraine? Mm -hmm. put, him, put him in that midfield with Rice and, you know, yeah. um, guard, he will cook. Yeah, if Kieran oh. Tierney was able to actually remain on the squad, that would have been an option. But, you know, he's been quite brittle and his he's definitely eroded a bit. Hopefully, after his loan spell, he kind of gets his legs back under. Because that is definitely an option. But, you know, I've look, the, 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 the striker question for Arsenal has been pretty glaring since Obama Yang got his contract not even not even after he left like since he got that contract because he's been basically not existing since then so that's that's a that's a problem that's definitely a problem dead real quick who would you want because I've heard even Tony but like this is see this, but this is the problem with when it comes to the striker game this is the problem is it so rarely happens that you go get someone who's performing well at another squad and they come in and do equally as well in your squad. Chelsea, Mike, you have to understand and agree with me that because you've seen it happen to your squad several times. You can go back to, to Torres. And so you, you you go get that guy who's doing somewhere somewhere else and he comes to your squad and just doesn't do it anymore. And that happens very, very, very often. What I wish would happen was if Arsenal had the ability to actually grow one and have one come through their ranks and actually able to build up in, in cup games and stuff like that and be placed there. I applaud what they're trying to do with Eddie and Ketchia. I don't know. I think you're kind of seeing his ceiling because he just doesn't have the he just doesn't have the skill. I think I think he's just not quite that good. He's he he look, he'd make a fantastic striker on a team that's probably gonna finish mid-table, but to be the lead striker on a squad that's trying competing for the title and catches just not good enough. And I don't think he ever will be. And I, and, and, and I, I'm not knocking him at all. I, I applaud him, but I just not sure he's at that level. And I'm not saying he can't get there. It just looks pretty bleak. And so as far as who would I go get, I have no idea. I really, I have no idea because the, the likelihood that someone's going to come in in that respect, as you go buy him, you go spend a hundred million pounds, and you bring bring him in. He's going to come in. He's going to perform. There's what two, three guys in the world that are capable of doing that, and they're going to cost two hundred million pounds. So I I just I I don't know. I don't know. I would love to see if Arsenal's wingers can do a bit more of what Sadio Mane and um, Mo Salah were able to do for Liverpool. I would I would like to see something like that. But you know, but you know, how 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 is that going to happen? I mean, yeah. Martinelli and Saka play great. Martinelli, though, he likes to fall over. He likes to get hurt because he falls over too much. He needs to stay on his feet. And they and, and Saka's getting played too much. He's he's getting he's locking too many minutes. So, so I, but we've got there are a multiple teams here amongst all of us who all need strikers. Improving goal scorers are probably the most expensive thing. Like that's strikers. what I was just talking about. But but Matt, finish your point. Finish no, your I point. heard you. No, but Matt, Matt, you're about to say something. Finish your point. This is a segue, but you you bring up Marnelli jogged it. And this applies, by the way, to, for all of our teams. Don't schedule early Saturday matches after international break. <laughs> and it really shows 
with all the Latin American guys. Yeah. Literally watching the City match and those other matches on Saturday, all the Latin American guys looked like trash because yeah. they were half asleep. Mm-hmm. Now, why is it why is it that Liverpool seems to be the only side that has a problem playing in the 12-30, 7-30 games? That's a Mike Chelsea Mike. That's a great question. They love to schedule us there, though. <laughs> they and do. They saying, love scheduling. I'm not saying any kind of conspiracy theories, but it really is. Also, by the way, the, and I wish we had London Sean on. I had someone explain to me the rationale uh, about how they schedule these matches and what's on British television and what isn't available. Yeah, the ten the ten a.m. matches here are not on British TV, and the rationale is antiquated, to say the least. I, look, as the it's as a lower ridiculous. Con- it's ridiculous, and it dates back to nineteen sixty. It's yeah. ridiculous. I want to I, I want to point this out league, as the lower league commentator here. I actually like it because it gives you an excuse to go watch your lower league side. Your your local your side, your down neighborhood the table, team, yeah, which all play. But they, the nobody region. does that. Now I'm going to point I this mean, out. Um, Manchester United at one point in time went uh, two and a half seasons without playing a fixture that started at ten o'clock on a Saturday or at uh, fifteen hundred uh, UK time on a Saturday. Two and a half seasons of Sundays or seven uh, or. 1230 um, lunchtime or tea time kickoffs for two and a half seasons, right? They did not play a 1500 UK time. And that was how the things were scheduled. So, yeah, if your team is relevant and doing stuff, they're going to schedule you. It's like the curse of successful teams in the NFL. Your your games are going to be on Monday night and Sunday night. We all know this especially when they go through and they start adjusting things like they're about to do for the next tranche of flex. Yeah. Flex games. Yeah. Yeah. The, all the flex games. And we're, we're about to see that coming up uh, for the next round of fixtures for the, for the month of December and going into now, January. I, I do think though, I mean, I would just, I would just hate to be in, in, in England and to know that I'm not allowed to watch the biggest games of my country because they forced me to go watch a local team that I may very well support, but that's not how I may want to spend that particular afternoon. I, I think, I just think that's absolutely ridiculous. I do. I mean, it's not nice. Even if you do any, even over here, even over here, we have, um, even if you, you know, we have the antiquated rules with the NFL mm-hmm. and blackouts and what networks are allowed to show double headers, mm-hmm. things like that, local broadcasting. Yes, but like, I can also go buy Sunday ticket and watch every game I want. That was the one that I was going to make the point about. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go and buy a Sunday ticket and you can go and watch every game. Mm-hmm. You can go to, you can buy a Sunday ticket if you don't feel like going to buy a Sunday ticket, you can find a local establishment. A bar will have it on. There'll be a bar with the game on. Absolutely. That does not even exist. And that's the where UK. I there, is, there is no option. Um, although uh, I was talking to a friend of mine because... Is it on the radio uh, at least? Like, could you listen to like, a radio broadcast? I, I, I think you can get a... I think you can get a radio feed through like the BBC 
be of some things, but these regional affiliates all have like worst comes to worst. If I can watch like the uh, Europa League match this this Thursday, mm-hmm. uh, I can listen to and it's it's great the BBC Merseyside service you can listen to the match for a very small fee through their website mm-hmm. one of the commentators is my man polish powered jersey dubcheck who is smart as a rock but he has that very polish way of just speaking truths which makes him sound like a dickhead but he's not he's just honest Matt, but the other thing you, is now that you bring yeah. up thursday football can i ask matt the uh, no you can't because Come I'm going to talk. Come on, it. let it let no let it let him ask. Let what, him I was, ask. What, what, what I was going to say though was back to what you were saying about the um, games not being on television and the mm. bars and stuff like that. I wish you would tell me that the bishops in Manchester, right outside of Old Trafford, is not going to have that ten o'clock game against Bournemouth, one way or the other. Mm-hmm. All right, now Michael, you may ask your question. Good, because I've got a Thursday football question for you, too. But, Matt, honestly, Shakhtar Donetsk, you know, good run. They're on a on a great run. Overall, do you think it would be better if they didn't take that second spot in the group and, in fact, got the third spot to make a run at Europa? That's a tough one. Uh their road and you know how far they can go is definitely greater in the Europa League. I don't think there's a question about that. But the Champions League's been weird this year. And like I don't know whether it's the fact that certain teams are in the Europa League or you know what have you. Depending on what kind of draw they get, I wouldn't be shocked if they wound up in the quarterfinals. Now, that's the max they could possibly go in the Champions League. But there's going to be some team like Dortmund. I'm sorry. I don't think Dortmund's, like, my trust levels of Dor- for Dortmund aren't really that high. They could, in like, depending on how that group, weirdly enough, shakes out. Like, if Mbappe doesn't score, PSG is bad. Like... <laughs> no, it's it's actually like they're not a good team. So like, it's weird. I I they they definitely go further in Europa, but the way that the Champions League is at the moment, like there's gonna be one or two teams that win a group that aren't that great. Because if you look at the field, it's like City, Bayern, we think. Madrid, but Madrid also because of Bellingham and history, right? They don't have a functioning number nine. So, like, it gets weird. Barcelona, do you trust Barcelona? I don't trust – well, they can't play Barcelona. It's the same group. But that's a that's a fair question, Mike. I, I, I honestly Financially, though, it's so much better for them to be – you will make more that's just appearing in, in the round of 16 – in the Champions League, you'll make more money just in the round of 16 in the Champions League than you would running to the finals of the Europa League. So, so Mike, while exposure-wise, we might love to see Shakhtar 
in the finals of the Europa League for the exposure to make that run to 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 do so. I think financially right now, they're like, yo, give us that Champions League money. If we make it to the quarterfinals, we're fine. But even if we go out in the round of 16, just give us that good Champions League knockout money for that one round, and we're good. You know, you kind of hate to see see them be embarrassed. I agree that I agree with Matt that they're probably going to get worse over the winter break, and you know, rather see them playing against Rosengard or whoever than Real Madrid. So, but I, I get I guess to Mike's point too. You get the money for Sadakov. You get the money for the round sixteen. And you reinvest that either in January or over the summer. I mean, that's... There is no way around the fact that Shakhtar Donetsk is going to need a crap ton of money at some point in time to rebuild the infrastructure that they have lost over the course of having to play how many seasons outside of their home country. There's there's the obvious war... uh, stuff but also too and this is and Shakhtar has they've mastered this like if you want to mod if you're Eastern European club and you want to model look at them every successful Eastern European team simply by design unless like you're freaking you know Zenit St. Petersburg and you have mafia money you're sell to buy you have to be sell to so and that's what Shakhtar does. It's like we 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 polish them up, we sell them, we rinse and repeat. They're doing it with Ukrainians now, not Brazilians, but it's the same essential model. So I mean, there, there's something to be said about that too. All right, Mike, that's funny. The sell to buy model is more successful than the mafia money model. Just saying. Mm-hmm. But so, Mike, Mike I first? have a, I've I've got a question for you. Uh, Everyone knows the grandest English tradition is Manchester United playing on Thursday come the new year. Is that going to happen? And if it doesn't, is that the biggest embarrassment in English football this year? Um, it could be, but it, A, it won't happen because they won't be. A, I, I assume that you're asking whether or not they'll qualify for the Europa League, which they will not. Um. I am prepared to believe that these are these next two matches before the end of the year, the last two European matches that I'm going to see Manchester United play for about 18 months. Um, Meaning they're not going to play in Europe in the new year, and they're not likely to qualify for Europe in 2024, 2025, right? So I have no expectations of seeing Manchester United play again in Europe after this this December of 2023 until September, October. I have a of, question here, though, because, like, isn't it five Champions League spots now? So, like, where does the Conference League cut off at? Like, can they- it doesn't it doesn't cut it doesn't cut off any lower. Okay, and even if it did, I still don't think they're going to make it. Like, I okay. just do not believe that Manchester United will play in Europe 
in 2024 at all. And I don't think that we will see Manchester United full stop in Europe at any point in time before uh, September, October of the year 2025, right? So that's what I'm saying. I'm thinking that it's going to be at least 18 months before we see them in Europe. So, yeah, you got that one. Um, Well, but enjoy the freedom. Mike, of I, what? I'm living the dream over here. I'm productive at work. I, you know, I go to the gym. Well, my, my there's no of, midweek I, I, burdens for me to. There's no midweek burdens, but I mean, part of my problem is that a significant portion of my windowy wardrobe is based on being able to wear red and black to school when Manchester United plays. So that's going to be kind of screwy because I'm not going to have any clothes to wear anymore. Um. Although it is going to save me a lot of time and heartache in meetings because I won't be preoccupied with what they're doing. The fact of the matter is um, this was as good as I have seen Manchester United play on Sunday. And I don't know how long, right? You know, the Garnacho goal was a thing of beauty and likely to be goal of the season. And it is deserved of that. I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody go up for a bicycle kick and it ends up in Rosé. You're, you're twice as likely to put it in the stands as you are to put it in the back of the net. He did that. They go into an absolute cauldron where everybody was favoring uh, Everton to just beat the brakes off of them because... They're not a consistent team, and they're crap on the road. And even beyond being crap on the road, they've been crap at, at, at Goodison Park for a number of years. And they go in there and they actually win 3 nothing. And it's the first time that they've won by multiple goals in a Premier League match all season. But even amongst that, they had a couple of balls cleared off the absolute line and a couple of amazing saves so they look very very fragile for a significant portion of the time in between the time that uh garnacho scored and the time where they got the penalty to make it two nothing which essentially put the game away this is not and it's a frankenstein of a team as you all well know where you have team guys that are built uh, bought by four different regimes to do four different things, all being asked to do one thing. And I'm not sure any of them actually know what that one thing is. The one thing I will say is that we keep hearing about this um, Jim Ratcliffe takeover, or Jim Ratcliffe taking over. I am still, I'm going to say, even not as a Manchester United fan, but as a journalist, I don't think that is as nailed on as the media is making it out to be. I don't think that the Glazers can come to a unified decision on a freaking toilet paper brand, let alone a decision to sell off 25% of their team. There's a significant portion of the Glazers, and they all have equal shares, that want to sell the team outright. And there's also a significant portion that wants to keep the team. 
And I don't think that they can really come to enough of an agreement to actually make this deal happen because that offer has not changed since freaking September. And we're in December now. Nothing has changed about that, but they can't make up their minds over whether or not to take it. Um, the fact that it has gone on as long as it has without any communication from them, and by that I mean it's not even any communication with the public, it's many communication with Jim Ratcliffe, leads me to believe that this is not as nailed on as they think they are. And everybody said that Richard Arnold resigned because he saw the writing on the wall for the takeover. What if he resigned because he's actually like, screw this. I'm not having this on my resume when they fuck up and can't make a decision about how to get off their or get out of their own way without tripping over their own proverbial dicks. And I can't do my job anymore. So fuck this. I'm out. And I think that's what he actually did, because now legitimately there is no one in charge of that club. The fact that when one of the most revered figures at that club and Sir Bobby Charlton passes away and no one in the club hierarchy, no one in the ownership group, not only can they not show up at the game, they can't even release a statement from themselves to acknowledge the passing of Sir Bobby Charlton. They can't even... Re um, release a statement from themselves to acknowledge the passing of Sir Alex Ferguson's wife. Like, if you're the ownership of this club, you should have some knowledge of what these people mean, and you're not even able to put in your own words condolences and grief. You leave it on Eric Ten Hag's um, desk to deal with because you can't you can't come up with thinking of telling someone in your communications department, hey, put together something for me to say that I can put out on social media. They didn't even do that. Like, how bushly can you possibly get? All right? Well, that's all I have to say. You know, good job. We won. We're going to get absolutely housed. In Istanbul tomorrow, it's going to be a freaking bloodbath. Yeah, housed at, by Galatasaray, Old Trafford, and Galatasaray hasn't lost a game in Europe in Istanbul out of Turkey in like three years. What makes you think that this sorry Manchester United team without Casemiro and without Marcus Rashford can go in and beat them? That's the end of the Champions League for us. Beat it again in 2005. So, Mike, I've got to wrap the show up. So, give me the haps from the uh, lower league so I can do that. Yeah, I mean, no problem. Uh, obviously, Leicester still look good. Uh, your boys at Ipswich sticking around, aren't they? Um, loss over the weekend, but uh, they're still seven points clear in the automatic promotion spot. Um, their resilience has been pretty you know pretty unexpected i think um i don't think that with the teams that have just made the drop you know leads um especially i, I don't think a lot of people 
really perceived it switch to be a serious contender, but they are. Um, if they can keep this up, uh, they'll be in the Premier League. But one team I did want to talk <laughs> about that we probably would never really otherwise is Reading. Reading last year were in playoff contention for a, a lot of the year. Um, certainly started out gangbusters um, in the championship. Uh, they fell quickly. They dropped down to League One. Now they're looking at a double drop, um, which, again, is a thing I don't think a lot of people would have expected. Um, you know, Reading are a proud side. And uh, again, to have been so close to the premiership where they have played um, and now to be frightfully close to League Two in just the matter of two seasons is uh, a little bit stunning. Um, I've got to say there's other teams down the bottom of that league, Fleetwood, Carlisle, Cheltenham, uh, teams you don't expect to seriously contend for the premiership anytime soon. There's teams above them, Fort Vale, Burton Albion, uh, Cambridge. These are teams, Exeter, that were, um, you know, in League Two just very recently. So um, it's Reading's fall, stunning. Um, and I've got to say, while we're, while we're on the topic of League One, Exeter City, we follow them here on the show religiously. Um mm-hmm. Because Sean, uh, London Sean's called. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it was not long ago. I was asking London Sean, "Hey, your guys, they were they were in playoff spots. They were at the top of the league um, for a week or two at the beginning of the season. Exeter City now sit just one space above relegation, back to League Two. Um, but that's that's what's great about lower league football. I mean, the wins." The winds of change blow very quickly, um, and they are very often blissful, but they're very often very cold. And, you know, the road up is heroic. We have Wrexham sitting in second place in League Two, primed to move up to League One and make that show forever. Um, but at the same time, at the almost exact polar opposite, you've got Reading sitting there looking to replace them in league two and that's and that's just ice cold but michael if i could say one more thing finish up the report um i want to i want to preview this weekend um what might be the match of the year in the women's super league um because of course i do the other leagues um this weekend chelsea arsenal 7.30 on Sunday on Paramount+. Plus, um, You've got Chelsea three points clear at the top. Arsenal can't take the top of the league unless they win by like nine goals or something, but they could certainly do a lot to dent Chelsea's title hopes. Chelsea have been running strong, running fast. Um, only drew with Man City in a game Man City fans will argue was stolen from them. Uh, I couldn't disagree more. Don't stall with the ball anymore. You're going to get a yellow card. But um, Chelsea Arsenal uh, for the top of the table um, for the leg up on the title. 730 Paramount Plus this Sunday morning. Eastern time. All right. So 
we're going to leave it there. Um, gentlemen, it's been a lot of fun. The post-holiday edition of the Too Many Guys Soccer Show, complete with bathrobes, ascots, and a band of renown. Um, so, for uh, Coach G and uh, Celtic Cam, Byron Rob, Professor Matt, Chelsea Mike, and especially Producer Stead, I'm Mike. Uh, this has been the Too Many Guys Soccer Show. We did all right this week. We'll try and do better next week. <laughs>